0: I am really excited, as maybe you could tell from the screen. We're going to have a two-week mini-series that we're kicking off today. It's going to be short, but I think it is going to be challenging as we dive into our rhythm series. It's been challenging for me already. One, I can never spell that word right, H-Y-T-H, every time. It doesn't feel right. So I've spelled that wrong more often than not in preparation for this but less concerned about superficial spelling issues. That may be difficult, but man, how much more difficult is it to have rhythm in our life? To have, we're going to dive into a work-rest rhythm. To have a good balance of our work and our rest. I think all of us can grow in that. In fact, I'll just ask, who here thinks you have the perfect balance There's nothing to learn. You have the right amount of work, rest, balance in your life. Raise your hand if that's you. Good. I would have kicked you out. I don't know if I can do that at church. I would have asked you to leave because you have nothing to learn. But yet, from the lack of hands, all of us can grow in this of having better rhythm. God has rhythm. I was going to entitle this message, God is not white. Because God has rhythm and get it. White people, we normally don't. But that would be offensive, so I'm not going to do that if that offends you. I have rhythm, but some white people don't. But here's the deal, right? You quickly learn in the scriptures that God is a God of rhythm. And particularly in this area, he has given us a universe with this rhythm of work and rest. And you don't have to go far in scripture to see this. So we want to figure out how do we have a proper rhythm in our lives, and then we're going to look at what are the problems when we get off rhythm with this balance of work and rest. Like I said, I don't have to work hard to dig into Scriptures to see this. You see it right from the very first pages of Scripture. And we're going to start there. We're going to start Genesis 1-1. This is how the Scriptures open. So go ahead and follow along as I read. In the beginning... So here we get the first glimpse into the material world as we know it. The first glimpse of to the world, in this world as we know it, it is without form and void. And God begins to bring order from the chaos. He begins to bring order to His creation. He separates the light and the night. He separates day from night. And he begins to set a rhythm to this universe. And he's bringing this order from chaos. And he's going to describe what this ordering is. So if you follow through to the culmination of the creation account, the beginning of Genesis 2, here's how he describes what he's doing here. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his, say it, church, Work. He finished his work that he has done, and he, one more time, say it, rested on the seventh day from all his work that he has done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he has done in creation. You see it, it jumps off the very first pages of Scripture, this rhythm of work, and rest, that God models for us this balance that he not only models for us, this beautiful rhythm of work and rest. He invites us into this rhythm. So further down in Genesis 2, here is God's rhythm that he's setting up, that he invites man to join him into. You see this in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it, and keep it. This is a massive theological point and a filter to kind of help you build your theological grid. You see God. You see man and woman called to work. And part of what you need to understand where we're at in the story and understand what hasn't happened yet. If you know your scriptures, maybe you were raised in church, it's fine if you don't. But what happens in Genesis 3 is when sin enters the world. Everything from then on out is tainted. So I want to ask you then, you have to think through, when did work come into God's creation? Let me ask it this way. Was work before sin and the fall? Yes. So that means, what does he call all of his creation? He calls it good work was before sin so therefore we have to proclaim work is good say it with me church work is good anybody glitch a little (laughs) work is work is good work is worship it is glorious Work is a part of the way we worship. Work is good in God's economy. We see it pre-fall, before sin, and I I think a full picture in heaven, in the new heavens, there will be work as well, which in some ways is good. Sometimes heaven sounded boring, like just worshiping for 10,000 years. It's just like one worship set, right? You come to worship night for an hour, And we're like, you want an encore? You're like, yeah, let's keep worshiping. Times that by 10 million. It's like, do you want another song? Like, hey, if you're ready for a break, I am like, yay. I want to know what your comfort level is. But there's work. There's newness. There's creation. Work is good. We have to wrap our heads around that to find the right rhythm. There's a book I want to read. It's on my list called God's Man. So I want you to think now, what is that book about? This is a guy sold out for God, sold out, faithful follower of Christ. And I think if you're being honest, your guess is that guy's probably a pastor or a missionary. I looked up the 50 best Christian, you know, biographies, autobiographies, almost all of them were about a pastor or a Christian And that's a tragedy. Because when we say work is good, we're not just talking about this spiritual work of leading Bible study or missions. We have to have a fuller picture of what we mean by work. I mean, all work is good. I mean, to caveat a little bit, right? There are inherently sinful things. So if you're a drug dealer, you might want to chill out. Okay? Stop slanging the rock like... So we're saying, okay, there's certain things, clearly, right, that are sinful. But then we think, oh, no, there's spiritual work. Like, that's what pastors do. You know, it's funny, even setting up here, we think of this work. Before I got up here, deacons were setting up cones. That is good spiritual work. We don't have to separate it. All work is good. You know what that story about God's man is about? He's a watchmaker. That's Casper Ten Boom, the father of Corey Ten Boom, a hero of the faith, and he was a watchmaker and did it for the glory of God, and God used him. God's man can be a pilot, an engineer. It's not just a missionary. Listen how Martin Luther, who really helped us break down this sacred-secular split, look at this quote, how he helps us get there, that all work is good. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. This is huge to understand and break down this sacred-secular split. How do you be a good Christian pilot? Don't crash. God is pleased by that. And maybe don't mumble as much when you're making announcements. But outside of that, right? Like That is good work that God is pleased with. Work is good. Work is a form of worship. And it doesn't just mean leading Bible studies. Of course, that is good it is bringing order to the chaos to order that's what god did and he says do all things for his glory maybe you're not setting up a universe but maybe your kind of realm of work you're bringing order out of the chaos of a kitchen of a classroom maybe you're in the it world and you're bringing order to the cloud I still don't know what that is, but we all talk about it. The cloud. Like maybe you're in mental health in people's minds. Maybe their finances are in chaos, and you're helping bring them to order. If you're bringing a good service that helps the society and blesses other people, then that is work. Work that God is honored by. We need to have a fuller picture of what we mean by that. You can worship God as a nurse, as a doctor, and all of that is good. But here's the problem, right? I need to proclaim it is glorious and serve him with my work. And I said work is good, but guess what does happen in God's creation account? Then sin enters. And that's why you glitched out when I said work is good. It is good. It still is good. But once sin comes, it is tainted. Part of the curse of this world of sin is now affects our work. This is where the scripture continues in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Work is glorious, and then post-sin, it is now laborious. It is difficult. It is hard. There's politics in your work, and work isn't easy anymore. We don't reject it, but we can also say work is good, but work is difficult. It is hard. You guys ever get this question as you think of jobs and work? Like, if you weren't doing what you did now, what else would you do? That has always been easy for me. There are two things. I think I've shared this before that I would like to do if I was not a pastor. One doesn't exist anymore, but in biblical times, they had professional wailers. Like at a funeral, if you wanted to like set a tone of grief, you'd bring professionals into coming in and wail. I'd crush that job. I just know it. I'd be oh, no, come on. Like I could do that job and I just know myself. But other than that, I'm obviously being a little silly, but one thing I would love to do, I would love to be a conductor. It just always looked fun to me. Now, I don't have the skills to do it, but right, a conductor. There's something, it's probably just the power of it, of this little baton. You ever see a conductor? And all of a sudden, 100 people step up. And I just dig it. Like, I don't know, it just looks fun to me, just like, and just up there, just pow. Like, I just... Just the passion of it, I just, I always wanted to do. And so you know what a conductor does? They decide and keep the tempo. Conductor keeps things in rhythm. And everybody stays on rhythm. God, the original conductor, right, sets up this universe in this perfect rhythm. And then sin enters, and this beautiful symphony and perfect rhythm that God is writing hits a different note, right? And all of a sudden, dun, 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 right? So from sin on, this world where work is good and work is enjoyable and glorious, from then on, everything now is out of rhythm. So we need to see all work is good and we should have a rhythm of work and rest. From sin on, all of us have fallen out of God's rhythm. So the problem is God is no longer setting the tempo. So I want you to think of the balance in your life, right? Who now has the baton in your life? Who now is setting the tempo of your rhythm of work and rest. That's an important question that we don't think about. We're just going at a pace. And one thing we have to acknowledge, we all have inherited from our culture a rhythm that has been given to us. Right? The work week. It's just Americans, we just assume it's a 40-hour work week. That's the rhythm that we should work. Is that in the Bible? We just think that comes from God. And actually, there is just pretty clear agreement on this. You know where that comes from? That guy. Like seriously, if you study the labor in our culture, he's the one that decided it. It wasn't always 40 hours. But he decides to work his line at eight-hour shifts. It's the eight-hour work week, five days a week. Some of it was to make more money. If I give you the weekend off, now you spend more money, buy more cars, Boom for the economy. And now, so all of a sudden, we're going to the rhythm of Henry Ford, our culture, and we don't question that conducting behind it. Our culture is huge for us, but think about it. We want to have healthy rhythm. How many cultures view this so differently would have a different rhythm? You're aware of kind of all the French protests. You know, they're going to raise the retirement age in France, flipped out. And it was interesting. I read an article. It was somebody who was French who's lived in America talking about some of the differences between kind of French and American rhythms of work and rest. Look at kind of an excerpt from this article. If Americans are baffled by the French willingness to fight, to hold on to these hard-won battles, it is in part because the two countries have very different ideas about what it means to be a worker. In the United States, work is, is an identity. You are what you do. For those of us who are raised in French culture, work refers to a finite period of life lasting roughly 40 years. When the work is done, you are still young enough and fit enough to enjoy the best of what life has to offer. You feel that? Right? Depending on what culture, they're setting the pace. And we just follow this without questioning, hey, How do we have a proper rhythm, a proper view of work that maybe it shouldn't be our identity, but maybe it shouldn't be the enemy? You know, that idea of the good life. We we work so we can make money to go, go do what we actually want to do. That's real life. Avoiding work is the enemy, and I don't think either are true and either are biblical. And so most kind of surveys say Americans work more than most developed nations, but I don't even know that anymore, right? Because what has happened now post-COVID in kind of the work from home era, and I want to read you from another article, to now our rhythms have a whole nother wrinkle that are thrown out of whack. I, this was out of the University of Pennsylvania. I think this is insightful. With the advent of telecommuting, Flexible hours, globalization, and answering emails after hours and on vacation, the American worker has entered the era of the fuzzy work-home divide. We have moved into a post-industrial society, the information age. We don't have norms yet. It remains to be seen how long it will take for these norms to emerge. Anybody feel that? When God said, here's the rhythm of work, rest, work, rest... Now we live in this world where there's no more divide. Right? The rhythm should be there's a gas and a brake. And now our rhythm is much like my grandfather's driving. Let me explain. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he drove a Model T. Maybe you didn't, maybe you drove him different. He drove with both feet, it, it, was, it, it wasn't a clutch. He would drive with both feet. He had one on the gas, one on the brake, and it was clunky driving. He was hitting both at the same time. I'm like, Pap, I love you. You got to calm down. (laughs) And how many of your rhythm is that? Am I on vacation? Am I home? Am I at work? And we have, when we're supposed to have a rhythm of a gas and a brake, we just have gas brake now in this new reality, in this beautiful rhythm that God gave us. Is very difficult. So I don't know. Here's the thing classically, Americans have overworked. But I think there are two errors. I just saw this stat. Since kind of the work from home push, weekday golf is up 278%. <laughs> Some of y'all ain't overworking. That's a big number, right? And so, to be honest, I mean, I think this this sermon 10 years ago would have been like, man, overwork, and I don't know. And so then you have to decide, right? In God's good rhythm, the problem is we've handed the baton to culture, to cash, to all these different things. And some, it's very simple, right? There's on rhythm. Some of you slow down and need to speed up. Some of you need to hit the gas and work in a rhythm with which God has designed us. And some of you are just flailing in God's rhythm. You need to slow down. And I just pray that the Spirit will lead you where you need to go. Because biblically speaking, the amount of hours you should work is 50. It doesn't say. I don't know. I wish I had a number. I can't, but there are principles, and you need to figure out, okay, do I need more gas or more brake? All of us can adjust our rhythm. Right? All of us. So you need to decide which one it is for you. So I'll address kind of the first error of slowing down too much and understand God's rhythm. For those that are maybe underworking, hear this passage coming out of Second Thessalonians. Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's strong language. Paul was a missionary. There's biblical precedent, could have been supported. Paul's like, in my case, I actually don't have to go get a job to get another paycheck. But it was so important for Paul. To say, look, I don't want you dare thinking that kind of work isn't good and it's unspiritual. And so I'm going to work like a dog doing ministry, planning churches, but also working a job to receive pay because it is important. That first line, keep away. That might be church discipline language, like, you know, casting people out of the church. If you can work and you are not, Paul sees that as a massive issues. If you are not willing to work, let him not eat. That is a big deal. And again, don't just confuse paycheck. Like, if you are a stay-at-home mom, that is hard work. Can I get an amen, moms? Right? I'm not talking about just paycheck, right? You can do volunteer work. There are different things. But the thing we're trying to avoid is idleness. Do you just live for your leisure or are you idle? It is hard to combine idleness and righteousness. And if you are living a life where there's too much idleness and leisure, man, it is hard to experience the righteousness for which God has created. We were created to work, and in Paul's mind, this is post-fall, you should work. And let me throw out a little caveat, because I know, man, there maybe is unemployed, and maybe what if you can't work? I think the Bible addresses that very well, as well, in Thessalonians. This is First Thessalonians. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so if you can't work, I think there is kind of precedence. Yeah, that's where we help. That's where we bring charity. We take care of each other. And even if you can't work, does it mean you can't give anything to your fellow men and women? But maybe, you know, if you can't work, that's a different story. Or if you're trying to work... And kind of in that, I see encourage the faint-hearted. You want to work and are having a hard time. Let me encourage you in that fight. But if you are just idle, you can work, and you're not, there is a biblical rebuke. But I think even in that middle ground of, man, I'm trying to find work, I think there is other encouragements as well. Because I think pride can get in our way of just going about honest work. Paul's addressing this in Thessalonians, and see how he speaks about it in the letter as well. Here, 1 Thessalonians 4. Aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed. So again, we want to under-spiritualize work, and we want to do these big, amazing things for God. And Paul's saying, man, to be faithful, to be God's man and God's woman, working a job is an honest way to do that. And the reason I want to bring this verse, right? Our pride can keep us from it. In the sense, we're like Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's like, man, I'm holding out for management. But what does he say? Work with your hands. In that culture, Greek philosophy, that was looked down upon. Tradesmen, manual labor. And Paul had no pride of that, and he was willing to just do a hard day's work. when that was a little bit of shame, to work with your hands in a Greek culture. It was looked down upon. So I don't want to be proud and just think work is spiritual. Man, a tradesman, a good, honest day working with our hands, that is not to be avoided, but celebrated. Work isn't our demon, but it's not our deity that we worship So we need to kind of get over our pride and give over our laziness. So how many in here realize gotten out of rhythm and I need to catch up with the rhythm of God and start working and working hard and celebrating it as a glorious thing in a form of worship. You need to hit the gas. And of course, some need to hit the brake. And I don't know kind of who you are. That's between you and the spirit of God. But you've handed the baton over to materialism and money. How do you decide your rhythm where our culture says it's my identity and it's my security? So who is setting that rhythm of life? It's not almighty God. It's the almighty dollar. And that's how I'm deciding how much I work. Listen to this passage in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see how it personifies money? Becomes the God that we worship in our culture. And I've traveled internationally enough. We are blind To the amount of materialism in our culture. We are driven. So deeply by the almighty dollar and when that's our God, it is never enough. And if that's our security in my work and how much money I have, I can never work enough because I can never, my kids are going to college and my roof is going to go in and I need money because money is my provision and I run myself into the ground because I'm serving money and money tells me I don't have enough and I have to speed up and it's crushing. And our tempo and rhythm is all off because money and materialism has the baton of our life. That's how we set the rhythm. We hand the baton over to the Joneses. And the Joneses are going fast. And we got to keep up with the Joneses. How much of it is materialism and greed? That's how we set the tone of our rhythm. Look at this passage. I think this is huge for our culture. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But if we have food and clothing with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." catch the biblical threshold of contentment doesn't even have shelter food and clothing as far as i could tell everybody is clothed this morning everybody i've seen we've all checked that box right if in the last 24 hours you have have had food raise your hand keep your hand up if there's food in your home right now hands down so then biblically, all of us are absolutely content with a provision in our lives. But we need a bigger house, and we need a bigger, we need more, and the new iPhone, and the new, when we first bought our phone, this is, we, when we first bought our home, this is our culture, and they weren't trying to in, be insulting, but it was a little bit. We bought our house, and we're like, wow, what a cute starter home. Like, we just like to call it a home. My house isn't big enough. In most cultures, I live in a, this is a very normal split level. In most cultures, I live in a mansion. But in America, oh, you still live in that starter home? Man, you need more. Do you need, oh, that car, it's old. And we get so out of rhythm because we serve money, and it's our security. And we can get greedy or materialistic, and not only just out of greed, but it's just out of fear. I don't have enough, and there's too much of life coming at me. And I think we forget a simple truth. Again, work doesn't mean pay. That's clearly a part of it. But we need to understand. I think this is overstated, particularly as men. We feel the burden. I need to provide. That tempo picks up inside of every man. I need to provide. That's God's job to provide. It's our job to faithfully work work, to understand that. It's our job to faithfully work. It's God's job to faithfully provide. God says, don't be anxious about provision. Seek me, follow my rhythm. And you'll never have to worry about provision in your life because I will provide. When I have the baton of your life, when you give your life to me, and experience forgiveness and grace through the cross, and you are adopted into the family of God, your identity isn't your job. Your identity is a child of God. And if you follow him in your life, provision is not an issue. He can provide. But we serve money, particularly in America, the God of this age, and we don't know how to stop. It was a book for men only. a Straightforward guide to the inner lives of women. Dun, 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 dun. And it was interesting. And so some of that, it's geared towards men, but I think it can apply to both. It was an interesting survey that they did. Particularly as men, we need to provide, and we're working, and maybe overworking. And it asked, okay, would you rather have your husband, your spouse, be in a high-paying, high-pressure, high-stress job, or here was the other option. Would you say I'd prefer he consider the new job despite the lower income? It's more important to have him around and emotionally close, both for me and the kids. How many chose this? 70%. 70%. How many of us don't? Choose that. Another 30% were found to be gold diggers. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, not, that wasn't the survey. It was a different survey. There was actually a neutral category. Only 12%, only 12% said, yeah, I want him stressed out in that high-paying job so we have enough. The vast majority was either neutral or said, gosh, no. I'd rather have the provision of being there and not absent. It was a great story to sum it up. This was out of the book. And one woman says this. She grew up in a large family in Flint, Michigan, one of those gritty industrial cities of the Midwest, described how more providing by her father had not turned out to be a better life for any of them. Here's what she says. When we were little, we lived in a small house right in the city. The neighborhood wasn't great, but I loved my life. My dad was a happy dad. When he was home from work, we'd all play. He was so much fun to be around. When I was 11, my dad wanted to provide a better future for us. Rather than just picking another house and moving out of the city, he decided to have a special home built. Since we didn't have tons of money, he knew he'd have a lot of the work to do himself, but he said we were worth it. Unfortunately, he didn't realize what all the extra stress and pressure would do to him, and not just to him, but to us. The stress of juggling everything began to wear my dad down. We lost happy dad. Instead, we found grumpy dad. He stopped playing with us so much. He was just on the edge a lot, not relaxed and fun. I now know that he was sacrificing himself to provide a better future for us, but we wanted him much more than we wanted the new house or better schools. We wanted happy dad back. She says that if the kids or her mom had been given the choice of a little home in Flint with happy dad or the bigger country home with grumpy dad, it would have been no contest. They all would have chosen happy dad. How many of us are grumpy mom and dad because we're serving the wrong conductor in our lives or out of rhythm and we need to pump the brakes? I think all of us, and change our rhythm. Do you need to hit the gas and speed up? Do you need to pump the brakes and slow down? I've really adjusted a lot this week. I've adjusted the flow of my week. I want to have better rhythm. My wife had a wonderful idea in our house. No screen time from 6 to 8 anymore. And that's for the kids, and that's for me, and that cursed smartphone. So that means there's a time where I can step away from work And have rhythm. What is it for you? What do you need to do different this week and all your weeks moving forward to be in better rhythm of work with God? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that you are the perfect conductor. That you have given us rhythm to this world, to our lives. God, we confess. God, we've handed the baton to so many other people, and we are not in step with you and your design. We're chasing culture. We're chasing money. We're chasing our own leisure. God, whatever it is. God, we want to follow you in rhythm and live in your good design.